Section 17 of London Labour and the London Poor by Henry Mayhew, Volume 1. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Peter Yearsley. The Street Folk, Part 17. Of the stationary street sellers of fish, fruit, and vegetables. Of the number of street stalls. Thus far we have dealt only with the itinerant dealers in fish, fruit, or vegetables, but there are still a large class of street sellers who obtain a living by the sale of the same articles at some fixed locality in the public thoroughfares, and as these differ from the others in certain points, they demand a short special notice here. First, as to the number of stalls in the streets of London, I caused personal observations to be made, and in a walk of forty-six miles, six hundred and thirty-two stalls were counted, which is at the rate of very nearly fourteen to the mile. This, too, was in bad weather, was not on a Saturday night, and at a season when the fruit-sellers all declare that things is dull. The routes taken in this inquiry were, number one, from Vauxhall to Hatton Garden, number two, from Baker Street to Bermondsey, number three, from Blackwall to Brompton, number four, from the Hackney Road to the Edgware Road. I give the results. Number one, nine fish stalls, twenty-eight fruit stalls, five vegetable stalls, seven miscellaneous stalls, total forty-nine. Number two, thirty-seven fish stalls, fifty fruit stalls, four vegetable stalls, fourteen miscellaneous stalls, total one hundred and five. Number three, ninety fish stalls, one hundred and fifty-three fruit stalls, thirty vegetable stalls, forty miscellaneous stalls, total three hundred and thirteen. Number four, seventy-five fish stalls, fifty-two fruit stalls, twenty-three vegetable stalls, fifteen miscellaneous stalls, total one hundred and sixty-five. Overall totals, two hundred and eleven fish stalls, two hundred and eighty-three fruit stalls, sixty-two vegetable stalls, seventy-six miscellaneous stalls, total 632 stalls. The miscellaneous stalls include peas soup, pickled whelks, sweetmeats, toys, tinware, elder wine, and jewellery stands. Of these, the toy stalls were found to be the most numerous, sweetmeats the next, tinware the next, while the elder wine stalls were least numerous. Some of the results indicate curiously enough, the character of the locality. Thus, in Fleet Street there were three, in the Haymarket five, in Regent Street six, and in Piccadilly fourteen, fruit stalls, and no fish stalls, these streets not being resorted to by the poor, to whom fruit is a luxury, but fish a necessity. In the Strand were seventeen fruit and two fish stalls, and in Drury Lane were eight stalls of fish to six of fruit, on the other hand, there were in Ratcliffe Highway thirty-eight fish and twenty-three fruit stalls, in Rosemary Lane thirteen fish and eight fruit stalls, in Shoreditch twenty-eight fish and thirteen fruit stalls, and in Bethnal Green Road, the poorest district of all, fourteen of the fish and but three of the fruit stalls. In some places the numbers were equal, or nearly so, as in the Minories, for instance, the City Road, the New Road, Goode Street, Tottenham Court Road, and the Camberwell Road, while in Smithfield, 
were five and in cowcross two fish stalls and no fruit stalls at all in this enumeration the street markets of leather lane the new cut the brill and so on are not included the result of this survey of the principal london thoroughfares is that in the mid route namely from brompton along piccadilly the strand fleet street and so via the commercial road to blackwall there are twice as many stalls as in the great northern thoroughfare that is to say from the edgware road along the new road to the hackney road the latter route however has more than one-third as many stalls as route number two and that again more than double the number of route number one hence it appears that the more frequented the thoroughfare the greater the quantity of street stalls the number of miles of streets contained within the inner police district of the metropolis are estimated by the authorities at two thousand including the city and assuming that there are on an average only four stalls to the mile throughout london we have thus a grand total of eight thousand fish fruit vegetable and other stalls dispersed throughout the capital concerning the character of the stalls at the street markets the following observations have been made at the new cut there were before the removals between the hours of eight and ten on a saturday evening ranged along the curbstone on the north side of the road beginning at broadwall to marshgate a distance of nearly half a mile a dense line of pitches at seventy-seven of which were vegetables for sale at forty fruit twenty-five fish twenty-two boots and shoes fourteen eatables consisting of cakes and pies hot eels baked potatoes and boiled whelks ten dealt in nightcaps lace ladies collars artificial flowers silk and straw bonnets ten in tinware such as saucepans tea-kettles and dutch ovens nine in crockery and glass seven in brooms and brushes five in poultry and rabbits six in paper books songs and almanacs and about sixty in sundries of the character of the street stalls the stalls occupied by costermongers for the sale of fish fruit vegetables and so on are chiefly constructed of a double cross trestle or movable frame or else of two trestles each with three legs upon which is laid a long deal board or tray some of the stalls consist merely of a few boards resting upon two baskets or upon two herring barrels the fish stalls are mostly covered with paper generally old newspapers or periodicals but some of the street fishmongers instead of using paper to display their fish upon have introduced a thin marble slab which gives the stall a cleaner and what they consider a high attribute a respectable appearance most of the fruit stalls are in the winter time fitted up with an apparatus for roasting apples and chestnuts this generally consists of an old saucepan with a fire inside and the woman who vends them huddled up in her old faded shawl or cloak often presents a picturesque appearance in the early evening or in a fog with the gleam of the fire lighting up her half somnolent figure within the last two or three years however there has been so large a business carried on in roasted chestnuts that it has become a distinct street trade and the vendors have provided themselves with an iron apparatus large enough to roast nearly half a bushel at a time at the present time however the larger apparatus is less common in the streets and more frequent in the shops than in the previous winter there are moreover peculiar kinds of stalls such as the hot eels and hot pea soup stalls 
having tin oval pots with a small chafing dish containing a charcoal fire underneath each to keep the eels or soup hot the early breakfast stall has two capacious tin cans filled with tea or coffee kept hot by the means before described and some are lighted up by two or three large oil lamps the majority of these stalls in the winter time are sheltered from the wind by a screen made out of an old clothes horse covered with tarpaulin the cough drop stand with its distilling apparatus the tin worm curling nearly the whole length of the tray has but lately been introduced the nut stall is fitted up with a target at the back of it the ginger beer stand may be seen in almost every street with its french polished mahogany frame and bright polished taps and its footbath shaped reservoir of water to cleanse the glasses the hot elder wine stand with its bright brass urns is equally popular the cellars of plum pudding cake a penny a slice sweetmeats cough drops pincushions jewellery chimney ornaments tea and tablespoons make use of a table covered over some with old newspapers or a piece of oilcloth upon which are exposed their articles for sale such is the usual character of the street stalls there are however stands or cans peculiar to certain branches of the street trade the most important of these such as the baked potato can and the meat pie stand i have before described the other means adopted by the street sellers for the exhibition of their various goods at certain pitches or fixed localities are as follows straw bonnets boys caps women's caps and prints are generally arranged for sale in large umbrellas placed upside down haberdashery with rolls of ribbons edgings and lace some street sellers display on a stall whilst others have a board at the edge of the pavement and expose their wares upon it as tastefully as they can old shoes patched up and well blacked ready for the purchaser's feet and tinware are often ranged upon the ground or where the stock is small a stall or table is used many stationary street sellers use merely baskets or trays either supported in their hand or on their arm or else they are strapped round their loins or suspended round their necks these are mostly fruit women watercress blacking congreves sheep's trotters and ham sandwich sellers many stationary street sellers stand on or near the bridges others near the steam packet wharfs or the railway terminuses a great number of them take their pitch at the entrance to a court or at the corners of streets and stall-keepers with oysters stand opposite the doors of public houses it is customary for a street seller who wants to pitch in a new locality to solicit the leave of the housekeeper opposite whose premises he desires to place his stall such leave obtained no other course is necessary of fruit stall keepers i had the following statement from a woman who has kept a stall in marylebone at the corner of a street which she calls my corner for thirty-eight years i was referred to her as a curious type of this class of stall-keepers and on my visit found her daughter at the pitch this daughter had all the eloquence which is attractive in a street seller and so i found had her mother when she joined us they are profuse in blessings and on a bystander observing when he heard the name of these street sellers that a jockey of that name had won the derby lately the daughter exclaimed to be sure he did he's my own uncle's relation 
and what a lot of money came into the family bless god for all things and bless everybody walnuts sir walnuts a penny a dozen wouldn't give you a bad one for the world which is a great thing for a poor almond for to offer to do the daughter was dressed in a drab greatcoat which covered her whole person when i saw the mother she carried a similar greatcoat as she was on her way to the stall and she used it as ladies do their muffs burying her hands in it the mother's dark-coloured old clothes seemed to borrow a description from sir walter scott flung on with a pitchfork these two women were at first very suspicious and could not be made to understand my object in questioning them but after a little while the mother became not only communicative but garrulous conversing with no small impatience at any interruption of the doings of the people in her neighbourhood i was accompanied by an intelligent costermonger who assured me of his certitude that the old woman's statement was perfectly correct and i found moreover from other inquiries that it was so well sir she began what is it that you want of me do i owe you anything there's half-pay officers about here for no good what is it you want hold your tongue you young fool to her daughter who was beginning to speak what do you know about it on my satisfying her that i had no desire to injure her she continued to say after spitting a common practice with her class on a piece of money for luck certainly sir that's very proper and good ay i've seen the world the town world and the country i don't know where i was born never mind about that it's nothing to nobody i don't know nothing about my father and mother but i know that afore i was eleven i went through the country with my missus she was a smuggler i didn't know then what smuggling was bless you sir i didn't i knew no more nor i know who made that lamp-post i didn't know the taste of the stuff we smuggled for two years didn't know it from small beer i've known it well enough since god knows my missus made a deal of money that time at deptford dockyard the men wasn't paid and let out till twelve of a night i hardly mind what night it was days were so alike then and they was our customers till one two or three in the morning sunday morning for anything i know i don't know what my missus gained something jolly there's not a fear of it she was kind enough to me i don't know how long i was with missus after that i was a-hopping and made my fifteen shillings regular at it and a-haymaking but i've had a pitch at my corner for thirty-eight year ay turned thirty-eight it's no use asking me what i made at first i can't tell but i'm sure i made more than twice as much as my daughter and me makes now the two of us i wish people that thinks we're idle now were with me for a day i'd teach them i don't that's the two of us don't make fifteen shillings a week now nor the half of it when all's paid d blank d if i do the d blank d boys take care of that here i had a statement of the boys tradings similar to what i have given there's canterbury as lots of boys and they bother me i can tell and always could how it is with working men when mechanics is in good work their children has halfpennies to spend with me if they're hard up there's no halfpennies the pennies go to a loaf or to buy a candle i might have saved money once but had a misfortunate family my husband well never mind about him d blank n him i've been a widow many years my son it's nothing how many children i have he's married he had the care of an engine but he lost it from ill health 
it was in a feather house and the flu got down his throat and coughed him and so he went into the country a hundred and eight miles off to his wife's mother but his wife's mother got her living by wooding and other ways and couldn't help him or his wife so he left and he's with me now he has a job sometimes with a greengrocer at sixpence a day and a bit of grub a little bit very i must shelter him i couldn't turn him out if a turk i knew was in distress and i had only half a loaf i'd give him half of that if he was ever such a turk i would sir out of sixpence a day my son poor fellow is only twenty-seven wants a bit of baccy and a pint of beer it'd be unnatural to oppose that wouldn't it sir he frets about his wife that's staying with her mother a hundred and eight miles off and about his little girl but i tell him to wait and he may have more little girls god knows they come when they're not wanted a bit i joke and say all my old sweethearts is dying away old jemmy went off sudden he lent me money sometimes but i always paid him he had a public once and had some money when he died i saw him the day afore he died he was in bed but wasn't his own man quite though he spoke sensible enough to me he said said he won't you have half a quartern of rum as we've often had it certainly jemmy says i i came for that very thing poor fellow his friends are quarrelling now about what he left it's fifty-six pounds they say and they'll go to law very likely and lose everything there'll be no such quarrelling when i die unless it is for the pawn tickets i get a meal now and got a meal afore but it was a better meal then sir then look at my expenses i was a customer once i used to buy and plenty such did blue cloth aprons opposite drury lane theatre the very shop's there still but i don't know what it is now i can't call to mind i gave two shillings and sixpence a yard from twenty to thirty years ago for an apron and it took two yards and i paid fourpence for making it and so an apron cost five shillings and fourpence that wasn't much thought of in those times i used to be different off then i never go to church i used to go when i was a little child at sevenoaks i suppose i was born somewhere thereabouts i've forgotten what the inside of a church is like there's no costermongers ever go to church except the rogues of them that wants to appear good i buy my fruit at covent garden apples is now four shillings and sixpence a bushel there i may make twice that in selling them but a bushel may last me two three or four days as i have already under the street sale of fish given an account of the oyster-stall keeper as well as the stationary dealers in sprats and the principal varieties of wet fish there is no necessity for me to continue this part of my subject we have now in a measure finished with the metropolitan costermongers we have seen that the street sellers of fish fruit and vegetables constitute a large proportion of the london population the men women and children numbering at the least thirty thousand and taking as much as two million pounds per annum we have seen moreover that these are the principal purveyors of food to the poor and that consequently they are as important a body of people as they are numerous of all classes they should be the most honest since the poor least of all can afford to be cheated and yet it has been shown that the consciences of the london costermongers generally speaking are as little developed as their intellects indeed the moral and religious state of these men is a foul disgrace to us 
laughing to scorn our zeal for the propagation of the gospel in foreign parts and making our many societies for the civilization of savages on the other side of the globe appear like a delusion a mockery and a snare when we have so many people sunk in the lowest depths of barbarism round about our very homes it is well to have bishops of new zealand when we have christianized all our own heathen but with thirty thousand individuals in merely one of our cities utterly creedless mindless and principleless surely it would look more like earnestness on our parts if we created bishops of the new cut and sent right reverend fathers to watch over the cure of souls in the broadway and the brill if our sense of duty will not rouse us to do this at least our regard for our own interests should teach us that it is not safe to allow this vast dung-heap of ignorance and vice to seethe and fester breeding a social pestilence in the very heart of our land that the costermongers belong essentially to the dangerous classes none can doubt and those who know a coster's hatred of a crusher will not hesitate to believe that they are as they themselves confess one and all ready upon the least disturbance to seize and disable their policemen it would be a marvel indeed if it were otherwise denied the right of getting a living by the street authorities after having perhaps been supplied with the means of so doing by the parish authorities the stock which the one had provided seized and confiscated by the other law seems to them a mere farce or at best but the exercise of an arbitrary and despotic power against which they consider themselves justified whenever an opportunity presents itself of using the same physical force as it brings to bear against them that they are ignorant and vicious as they are surely is not their fault if we were all born with learning and virtue then might we with some show of justice blame the costermongers for their want of both but seeing that even the most moral and intelligent of us owe the greater part if not the whole of our wisdom and goodness to the tuition of others we must not in the arrogance of our self-conceit condemn these men because they are not like ourselves when it is evident that we should have been as they are had not some one done for us what we refuse to do for them we leave them destitute of all perceptions of beauty and therefore without any means of pleasure but through their appetites and then we are surprised to find their evenings are passed either in brutalizing themselves with beer or in gloating over the mimic sensuality of the penny gaff without the least intellectual culture is it likely moreover that they should have that perception of antecedents and consequence which enables us to see in the shadows of the past the types of the future or that power of projecting the mind into the space as it were of time which we in saxon english call foresight and in anglo-latin providence a power so godlike that the latter term is often used by us to express the godhead itself is it possible then that men who are as much creatures of the present as the beasts of the field instinctless animals should have the least faculty of prevision or rather 
is it not natural that following the most precarious of all occupations one in which the subsistence depends upon the weather of this the most variable climate of any they should fail to make the affluence of the fine days mitigate the starvation of the rainy ones or that their appetites made doubly eager by the privations suffered in their adversity should be indulged in all kinds of excess in their prosperity their lives being thus as it were a series of alternations between starvation and surfeit the fate of children brought up amid the influence of such scenes with parents starving one week and drunk all the next turned loose into the streets as soon as they are old enough to run alone sent out to sell in public houses almost before they know how to put two halfpence together their tastes trained to libidinism long before puberty at the penny concert and their passions inflamed with the unrestrained intercourse of the tuppenny hops the fate of the young i say abandoned to the blight of such associations as these cannot well be otherwise than it is if the child be father to the man assuredly it does not require a great effort of imagination to conceive the manhood that such a childhood must necessarily engender some months back mr mayhew with a view to mitigate what appeared to him to be the chief evils of a street-seller's life founded the friendly association of london costermongers the objects of which were as follows one to establish a benefit and provident fund for ensuring to each member a small weekly allowance in sickness or old age as well as a certain sum to his family at his death so that the costermongers when incapacitated from labour may not be forced to seek parochial relief nor at their decease be left to be buried by the parish two to institute a penny savings bank and winter fund where the smallest deposits will be received and bear interest so that the costermongers may be encouraged to lay by even the most trivial sums not only as a provision for future comfort but as the means of assisting their poorer brethren with future loans three to form a small loan fund for supplying the more needy costermongers with stock money and so on at a fair and legitimate interest instead of the exorbitant rates that are now charged four to promote the use of full weights and measures by every member of the association as well as a rigid inspection of the scales and so on of all other costermongers so that the honestly disposed street sellers may be protected and the public secured against imposition five to protect the costermongers from interference when lawfully pursuing their calling by placing it in their power to employ counsel to defend them if unjustly prosecuted six to provide harmless if not rational amusements at the same cheap rate as the pernicious entertainments now resorted to by the street sellers seven to adopt means for the gratuitous education of the children of the costermongers in the daytime and the men and women themselves in the evening this institution remains at present comparatively in abeyance from the want of funds to complete the preliminary arrangements 
those however who may feel inclined to contribute towards its establishment will please to pay their subscriptions into messrs twining's bank strand to the account of thomas hughes esq of sixty three upper berkeley street portman square who has kindly consented to act as treasurer to the association of a public meeting of street sellers the association above described arose out of a meeting of costermongers and other street folk which was held at my instance on the evening of the twelfth of june last in the national hall Hoban. the meeting was announced as one of street sellers street performers and street labourers but the costermongers were the great majority present the admission was by ticket and the tickets which were of course gratuitous were distributed by men familiar with all the classes invited to attend these men found the tickets received by some of the street people with great distrust others could not be made to understand why any one should trouble himself on their behoof others again cheerfully promised their attendance some accused the ticket distributors with having been bribed by the government or the police though for what purpose was not stated some abused them heartily and some offered to treat them at least one thousand persons were present at the meeting of whom seven hundred and thirty one presented their tickets the others were admitted because they were known to the doorkeepers and had either lost their tickets or had not had the opportunity to obtain them the persons to whom cards of admission were given were invited to write their names and callings on the backs and the cards so received gave the following result costermongers two hundred and fifty six fish sellers twenty eight hucksters twenty three lot sellers eighteen street labourers sixteen paper sellers and workers thirteen toy sellers eleven ginger beer sellers nine hardware sellers nine general dealers seven street musicians five street performers five cakes and pastry sellers fried fish vendors and tinkers each four turf vendors street exhibitors strolling players cat's meat men watercress sellers stay lace and cotton sellers each three board carriers fruit sellers street tradesmen hawkers street greengrocers shellfish vendors poulterers mudlarks wire workers ballad singers crockmen and booksellers each two the cards also gave one each of the following avocations fly cage makers fly paper sellers grinders tripe sellers pattern printers blind paper cutters lace collar sellers bird sellers bird trainers pen sellers lucifer merchants watch sellers decorators and playbill sellers two hundred and sixty cards were given in without being endorsed with any name or calling my object in calling this meeting was to ascertain from the men themselves what were the grievances to which they considered themselves subjected what were the peculiarities and what the privations of a street life catcalls and every description of discordant sound prevailed before the commencement of the proceedings but there was also perfect good humour although it had been announced that all the speakers were to address the meeting from the platform yet throughout the evening some man or other would occasionally essay to speak from the body of the hall some of those present expressed misgivings that the meeting was got up by the government or by sir r peel and that policemen in disguise were in attendance 
the majority showed an ignorance of the usual forms observed at public meetings though some manifested a thorough understanding of them nor was there much delicacy observed but perhaps about as much as in some assemblages of a different character in clamouring down any prosy speaker many present were without coats for it was a warm evening some were without waistcoats many were in tatters hats and caps were in infinite varieties of shape and shade while a few were well and even genteelly dressed the well-dressed street sellers were nearly all young men and one of these wore mustachios after i had explained amidst frequent questions and interruptions the purpose for which i had summoned the meeting and had assured the assembly that to the best of my knowledge no policemen were present i invited free discussion it was arranged that some one person should address the meeting as the representative of each particular occupation an elderly man of small stature and lively intelligent features stood up to speak on behalf of the paper-workers flying stationers and standing patterers he said that for twenty-four years he had been a penny showman a street seller and a patterer he dwelt upon the difference of a street life when he was young and at the present time the difference being between meals and no meals and complained that though he had been well educated had friends in a respectable way of life and had never been accused of any dishonesty such was the moral brand of having been connected with a street life that it was never got rid of he more than once alluded to this moral brand the question was he concluded in what way were they to obtain an honest livelihood so as to keep their wives and children decently without being buffeted about like wild beasts in the open streets this address was characterized by propriety in the delivery and by the absence of any grammatical inaccuracy or vulgarity of tone or expression a costermonger a quiet-looking man tidily clad said he was the son of a country auctioneer now dead and not having been brought up to any trade he came to london to try his luck his means were done before he could obtain employment and he was in a state of starvation at last he was obliged to apply to the parish the guardians took him into the workhouse and offered to pass him home but as he could do no good there he refused to go whereupon giving him a pound of bread he was turned into the streets and had nowhere to lay his head in wandering down the new cut a costermonger questioned him and then took him into his house and fed him this man kept him for a year and a half he showed him how to get a living in the street trade and when he left gave him twenty shillings to start with with this sum he got a good living directly and he could do so now were it not for the police whose conduct he stated was sometimes very tyrannical he had been dragged to the station house for standing to serve customers though he obstructed nobody the policeman however called it an obstruction and he the speaker was fined two shillings and sixpence whereupon because he had not the half-crown his barrow and all it contained were taken from him and he had heard nothing of them since this almost broke him down there was no redress for these things and he thought they ought to be looked into this man spoke with considerable energy 
and when he had concluded many costermongers shouted at the top of their voices that they could substantiate every word of what he had said a young man of superior appearance said he was the son of a gentleman who had held a commission as lieutenant in the twentieth foot and as captain in the thirty-fourth infantry and afterwards became sub-director of the butte docks in which situation he died leaving no property he the speaker was a classical scholar but having no trade he was compelled after his father's death to come to london in search of employment thinking that his pen and his school acquirements would secure it but in this expectation he was disappointed though for a short period he was earning two guineas a week in copying documents for the house of commons that time was past and he was a street patterer now through sheer necessity he could say from experience that the earnings of that class were no more than from eight shillings to ten shillings a week he then declaimed at some length against the interference of the police with the patterers considering it harsh and unnecessary after some noisy and not very relevant discussion concerning the true amount of a street patterer's earnings a clergyman of the established church now selling stenographic cards in the street addressed the meeting he observed that in every promiscuous assembly there would always be somebody who might be called unfortunate of this number he was one for when upon the fifth of september eighteen thirty one he preached a funeral sermon before a fashionable congregation upon mr huskisson's death by a railway accident he little thought he should ever be bound over in his own recognizances in ten pounds for obstructing the metropolitan thoroughfares he was a native of hackney but in early life he went to scotland and upon the twenty fourth of june eighteen thirty two he obtained the presentation to a small extra-parochial chapel in that country upon the presentation of the rev dr bell his people embraced irvingism and he was obliged to leave and in january eighteen thirty seven he came to the metropolis his history since that period he need not state his occupation was well known and he could confirm what had been stated with regard to the police the police act provided that all persons selling goods in the streets were to keep five feet off the pavement the street not being a market he had always kept with his wares and his cards beyond the prohibited distance of five feet and for six years and a half he had sold his cards without molesting or being molested after some severe observations upon the police he narrated several events in his personal history to account for his present condition which he attributed to misfortune and the injustice of society in the course of these explanations he gave an illustration of his classical acquirements in having detected a grammatical error in a latin inscription upon the plate of a foundation stone for a new church in westminster he wrote to the incumbent pointing out the error and the incumbent asked the beadle who he was oh said the beadle he is a fellow who gets his living in the streets this was enough he got no answer to his letter though he knew the incumbent and his four curates and had attended his church for seven years after dwelling on the sufferings of those whose living was gained in the streets he said that if persons wished really to know anything of the character or habits of life of the very poor of whom he was one the knowledge could only be had 
from a personal survey of their condition in their own homes. He ended by expressing his hope that by better treatment and an earnest attention, moral, social, and religious, to their condition, the poor of the streets might be gathered to the church and to God. A wandering musician in a highland garb, worn and dirty, complained at some length of the way in which he was treated by the police. A hale-looking man, a costermonger of middle age, who said he had a wife and four children dependent upon him, then spoke. It was a positive fact, he said, notwithstanding their poverty, their hardships, and even their degradation in the eyes of some, that the first markets in London were mainly supported by costermongers. What would the Duke of Bedford's market in Covent Garden be without them? This question elicited loud applause. Several other persons followed with statements of a similar character, which were listened to with interest, but from their general sameness it is not necessary to repeat them here. After occupying nearly four hours, the proceedings were brought to a close by a vote of thanks, and the street-sellers, performers, and labourers separated in a most orderly manner. End of section 17